Welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. This month, Time of Grace is talking about abortion. Today, you will meet Laura, who had an abortion as a young woman. None of us can go back and fix our past, but I'm sure as you listen to Laura, you will really appreciate her heart. But before we get started, let me mention that Time of Grace has a page of resources where you can find other content on abortion, including sermons from Pastor Mike, a Grace Talks devotional from Pastor Jeremy, and an interview I did with Pastor Mike on why he decided to do a sermon series on this important topic. Before we continue, I need to mention there are some descriptions of Laura's abortion which may trigger you if you've had an abortion yourself, and others may find slightly graphic. If you or someone you know is struggling to better understand the topic of abortion through God's Word, we're here to help. Visit timeofgrace.org abortion for more resources on this important topic. So my guest today is Laura, and she's from Milwaukee. And Laura, you and I met about a year and a half ago. We were both doing an event for a pregnancy counseling center, and I gave a talk that night. You gave your testimony, and after you gave your testimony, I'm not sure there was a dry eye in the place. So good of you to come here again. I'm glad to see you again. So just to introduce our listeners to you and to your experience, when, um, you, how old were you when you first found out you were pregnant? I was 20 years old, very close to 21. Okay. And what were the circumstances surrounding your pregnancy? I was a teenager, well, 19, 20, and when I had started dating and seeing the father of the baby, and he was married. I had met him at, uh, I started working at a gas station and I had met him there and was trying to do everything I could to prove to my parents that I could do my life my way and making choices that were very knowingly opposite of what they would want for me and which included dating this older man. They didn't know he was married and that's that's where I was when I found out I was pregnant. And actually, his wife had just died from a long illness. She had been in a care facility because she had a, a medical condition that took her life. Um, and I found out I was pregnant shortly after she died. So what was your reaction when you found out you were pregnant? Complete shame. And... I had been going along trying to convince myself that there was nothing wrong with what I was doing, that it was fine, nobody would know I could get away with this, and I had a sense that, you know, that teenage sense that nothing's going to happen that I don't really want to happen. You were invincible. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I wasn't, and reality came crashing in, and I was just so ashamed of myself because I knew that being involved with a married man was not what I should have been doing. And especially when she was so ill. You know, I, I accepted his sorry story about how lonely he was and 
but I knew that that was wrong. And so here I was faced with proof of what I had been doing, the reality of it, the evidence of it. And all I wanted was for an eraser, something to make it all go away. And his first response was, you need to get an abortion. How long had you been dating at the time? About a year. We've been seeing each other for about a year. Now, you said that you had not told your parents that he was married. Right. Were th- was there anybody in your life that knew the whole situation? No, I was hiding all of that. And, and, and I was hiding it because I knew it was wrong and because I was ashamed of it. And so if I could hide it and not have to admit it to anyone, I could pretend that really it was okay. Mm-hmm. So no one knew that he was, they knew I was seeing him, they knew he was older, they had met him, but n- no one ever knew that he was married. So you really had no one that you could go to in your life to talk to about the circumstances surrounding your pregnancy because m- nobody knew really what was going on. Right. No one knew. And to be fair, I had people involved. You know, I had my parents. I never gave them the opportunity to have any kind of supportive reaction. I decided that that would embarrass and shame them and that they'd be embarrassed and ashamed of me because I was embarrassed and ashamed of myself. So I never gave them the opportunity to show me anything different. Looking back now, I think they probably would have reacted lovingly and not, I mean, they obviously would have been disappointed, but it it would have been a temporary, and that was part of it. I could only see the very near future. I couldn't see down the road and I only was trying to fix the here and now and not giving anyone a chance to help me. I think what you said was so important and I hope that people hear that loud and clear because there may be a woman in a situation right now facing an unexpected pregnancy and between the narrative she's playing in her mind And what Satan would love for her to think, she honestly thinks there's no one in her life that she could go to who would support her, you know, stand beside her, not accuse her, not judge her. But you're saying those people were probably there. You didn't see it and you didn't give them the chance. Is that right? Yes. Yes. They probably would have reacted better than I imagined in my And I think another thing that's important, um, you probably understand this now because you're many years down the line, but I think what a lot of people don't understand is I never dated a married man, but I made some bad dating choices. So even though I didn't end up in a situation where I was faced with an unexpected pregnancy and looking for an out, I definitely found myself in a relationship that I shouldn't have been in and that my parents did not support. They knew a lot of the factors. And um, again, I was invincible at that age, thinking I could get through it without devastation wasn't the case. The only reason I bring this up is because young people may be looking at the people in their congregation or in their neighborhood or their extended family, and they may be thinking, I can't go to them because they made all the right choices. 
they wouldn't understand. There's no way they could relate. And both you and I are saying not true. Exactly. I, I, when I have a chance to talk to people on a deeper level now in my life, you know, on the outside, my life looks all put together. You know, I have a nice job. I have two wonderful daughters. I have a granddaughter. You know, it seems I, I volunteer at different places. It seems like I just needing me now that, oh, I must have made all the right choices if you only look at the surface of it. But when I get a chance to talk to people deeper down, you know, I, my relationship ended up with um, not physical uh, abuse, but emotional abuse. I, you know, was a single mom I, very early in my life. You know, there's a lot of situations that I ended up in because of choices that I made. And I, through help and through myself, were able, I was able to rise above that and move beyond it. And so sometimes, without talking deeper, people think I wouldn't understand that or where they're at now. But I do because I was there. And I think a lot of people in the pews at church or in your community you can look at the outside and not realize they've gone through consequences of choices that they've made as well. And they may be far more understanding than you could ever imagine. I I am so glad you said that. I remember being at a conference speaking one time and a woman pulled me off to the side and she just she started telling me what was going on in her life and she said, I know you would never understand this, but and as she was talking, I said, I understand completely. And she said, no, 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 not, not to the level that I am in. And I say, no, I understand completely. A lot of us go through things that we don't share with the whole world. That doesn't mean that we're not compassionate or willing to walk alongside people when they find themselves in circumstances that aren't ideal. Exactly. And so I hope that, I hope that women right now who might be listening and they're facing choices and or maybe they're not pregnant but maybe they're in a relationship they know they shouldn't be in maybe they're in a relationship that has gone down a path they didn't want to go and they're looking around saying I don't know how to get out I don't know how to ask for help I don't know what to do and I hope the message that they're hearing is you're not alone and reach out for help and give someone a chance to talk to you and walk through this with you. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you found out you were pregnant. He said right away, get an abortion. What next? Right. He was just as eager to find an eraser and make this all go away because obviously it made him look bad as well. And for him to talk to his family and his now deceased wife's family and, and show up with a someone who got pregnant before, it, he was wanting to cover it up too. And so, but somehow I ended up being the one paying for it all. He didn't pay for anything. Um, he did come with me, and we sat there in the waiting room, and it was miserable. By that time, I had just shut down emotionally. Um, it, it was laser-focused. I have to fix this. I have to make this go away. How far into your pregnancy were you? Can I ask that? I was six weeks. Okay. So, but that was part of it was I had to make it go away fast because 
I think down, deep down I knew that if I gave myself a chance to think about it, I might talk myself out of it, or I might think of something different, and I couldn't conceive of that. I couldn't grasp how that could work. And you were still at a stage when nobody knew. I mean, exactly. you could hide it. Right. The longer no you go on, exactly. it's harder to hide. Right, right. And so I just needed to make it all go away. And, I, and you know, I went to Planned Parenthood. They told me it was a blob of tissue. They told me that, you know, it was, it was nothing. And the sooner I should take care of it, the, the better. Uh, in that appointment, they also, I think she could tell that she was, that maybe I was wavering, so she needed to seal the deal. And, you know, she's there wearing a lab coat as if she was a doctor. I don't think she was. I don't think she was even a nurse. Um, because she sat across the desk from me, and based on a couple of things I told her, she said, well, you clearly have an ectopic pregnancy. And so if you don't get an abortion really quickly, you could die. So that added to my rush, and I have to do this quickly. Um, so that definitely worked to seal the deal. And she gave me the information to the Planned Parenthood Clinic, in between, I must have had some hesitation about trusting her, and maybe it was because she was working to seal the deal and make the sale. So I did go to a regular doctor in between, and he confirmed I was pregnant, and he said he didn't do abortions. But he didn't tell me why. He didn't say, I don't do abortions because of whatever, so, to me, that was a very large missed opportunity. And since then, I've been able to talk to multiple medical student groups, and I have made that point, pro-life medical student groups, and I've made that point that that's when you get to tell them why. That's when you can say, and you can have an intense influence on a young girl or a married woman or anyone to explain to them why this is not what they should choose. Don't just say, well, I don't do that. And, and how important that is. But also, there's so many other things and cues that they could pick up on, even if they're not in OBGYN, to, to be aware and to learn about what brings a woman to that point and where she is after that. So I'm just wondering, and I don't know if this is a, a fair question to ask, but you were told you had an ectopic pregnancy, and when I um, talked to Carol, she was also told that, her, that something wasn't right. Is this a lie they use to, to make it feel easier to get an abortion, or is this very uncommon? This is new I, to me. I, I am not sure. I've met someone else who told, was told that they had a tubal pregnancy. She wasn't told she had a tubal pregnancy, but that there was issues with the, the babies. So, I, it, for me, them telling me that, it was a flat-out lie. That I was too ignorant at that time to know, but a suction abortion, which is what they sent me for, is not something that could even begin to resolve an ectopic pregnancy. Because if the baby's in the 
fallopian tube, they can't deal with it by emptying the uterus. Okay. And so, but I didn't find that out until years later. So it worked to get me thinking, I, I better hurry up and I better do this quickly and fast. So I don't know that they, maybe it's a trick that they pull out every, you know, when they mm. need it. I'm not sure. But it was a lie because, number one, you can't diagnose an ectopic pregnancy just by looking at a woman and mm. hearing a couple of descriptions of possible symptoms. You have to actually do a medical exam. And this woman was still sitting across the desk from me. And so it, it was a lie mm -hmm. to convince me and, and to close the sale. Yeah. Your abortion experience was trauma traumatic. Can yes. you tell us about that? So when, when they started, number, number one, you know, I never met the doctor beforehand until I was already on the table. And he walked in, and whether they didn't use enough or didn't use any, I, I'm not sure about the anesthesia, but the pain was so intense that I, I told him, stop, stop, I, you know, don't do this, I can't, I can't do this. And his response, the only words the doctor ever spoke to me were, you should have thought of that before. And then it seemed like he got rougher. And afterwards, one of the nurses kind of apologized for him, like, well, he doesn't like what he does, as if that made it better, that he was rough with me. But also, I got sick and started to throw up, and the nurse was utterly disgusted with me, you know, that I ate breakfast. Well, nobody had told me I shouldn't eat breakfast. And... You know, so she was angry that she had to stand there and hold the little bowl for me to throw up in. And then I was nauseous for quite a while after. And afterwards, no one came. Nobody asked, you know, are you feeling any better? And suddenly they were saying when it was time to leave and they're ready to kick me out the door, they're telling me I needed to come back in two weeks for a shot or something. They didn't explain what and didn't explain why. Later I found out and realized my blood is negative. And when you have negative blood after you give birth, you have to get a shot. Or future children that you have, there may be a problem. If they have positive blood, there may be a problem. But they didn't explain any of that to me, and I didn't learn that until I, a future pregnancy when they had that. So the whole thing was traumatic, and I just went home afterwards and just didn't want to ever think about it anymore. And yet, your trauma lasted a long time, because it, I remember you talking about the vacuum cleaner. Right. So those were the, the, that was the trauma during the abortion. And then, for a brief while after that, I was relieved, I was happy, I was almost giddy, because whew, this was all done, and I could just ignore it, I could move on with my life, none of it happened, start with a fresh, clean slate. But then I started getting nightmares, and I was depressed, and uh, 
angry and distraught. And But I had to hide all that. I couldn't let that out. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Because again, then I would end up telling somebody what it all was and why. So I kept all that inside. And I can remember standing at night, standing at the window, looking out and seeing other houses with lights and just wishing like I could magically be in one of those other houses where everything was wonderful and not so broken like like my life was. Yeah. Were you living alone at the time? No. So after that, and because his wife had died, then we got married. And a lot of that was because I didn't think anyone else would want me. I was used goods. I was damaged. I was broken. So who else is going to want me except this person who also was in it with me? And it was an unhealthy relationship. It was abusive. Uh, not physically, but it was emotionally and verbally abusive. And so we got married four months after the abortion. And, and again, you know, so, okay, now everything's wonderful, see? You know, I, I couldn't have done this. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked out this way. And then I got pregnant almost immediately again. And that took me to a whole new level of depression and fear, intense fear, because I had been raised going to church, didn't really have any concept of it, of God, what it was all about, definitely no personal connection with God. But I had some sense that because of having the abortion, God was going to make something bad happen to this baby to punish me. And so the fear that I lived with during that pregnancy was immense because I kept thinking, is today the day something's going to go wrong? And then when my daughter was born and she was perfectly healthy, I was so confused. Like, I couldn't understand how this could be because I was so convinced something was going to go wrong. In your mind, you had In convinced yourself that yes. you deserved for something terrible to happen yes. because you were thinking you had done such a terrible thing that God surely would punish you right. for what you had done. Right. So what was it about the vacuum cleaner that was a trigger for you? Yes, and so that was that came along after she was born. And it really was a, a trigger going back to the sound of the suction machine of the abortion. The vacuum cleaner sounded like that suction machine. But I didn't connect it. I didn't understand it. I also couldn't go to the dentist because that the suction thing where they suck the stuff out of your mouth, but also the drill, those sounds were very much like that. And again, you're in kind of in a chair in that kind of same position. And so, but again, I couldn't connect. I didn't connect that. I didn't know why. Um, but I would do anything to not vacuum. And I would make my husband do the vacuuming. And, and I neglected my teeth for a long time because of that. And it, it was much later than when I realized and when I started finding some healing and started finally talking to some people about that, and, you know, about things. And somebody else said something about a, not a vacuum, but something else. And I said, oh, and it, it, things started to 
click and connect. And once I made that connection and understood it, then I could move past it. But it, it was that it took a long time to make that connection. But that was why it was bothering me. Yeah, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, we weren't talking about triggers. That's exactly. something that we've, you know, that's a word that we've become accustomed to now. But we we didn't realize and we also didn't. I'm not sure that a lot was being talked about in terms of the trauma post-abortion in in um, that you don't just walk away from the abortion and get on with your life. Like you said, there was a, a, a period of time that you felt free and giddy almost like, okay, that's over with. But then you started having these feelings come back and you started having the the triggers interrupt your life. Right, the emotional side of the side effect, the emotional aftermath of abortion, which oftentimes it it flows along kind of under the radar for quite a while. And you know, I thought I was crazy because abortion was legal. If it hadn't been legal, I never would have done it. I was too much of a goody two-shoes, even though I was rebelling and doing things. At my core, I'm a goody two-shoes, and I do things the right way. And so if it had been against the law, I never would have done it. And But that was part of my confusion. It's, it's legal. They said it's just a blob of tissue. They said it's not a baby. Why am I having this impact why is this bothering me and this by now was years later why is it still bothering me i was this was an eraser it was supposed to make it all go away and that was also part of the confusion that was going on because that and that added to the shame because i thought something was wrong with me everybody else is fine with this why is it bothering me so much after the fact and it definitely doesn't get talked about. And there's studies now that talk about the increase in promiscuity, the increase in drug use, the increase in alcohol abuse after an abortion. And it's, it's a, there, there are mechanisms that we try to cope and we try to squish down those feelings because you know if we open that box and let those feelings come out, that's like letting the boogeyman out. And it also seems maybe other women are feeling what you were feeling. You said you felt like you were damaged goods after that. Almost as if, well, I guess if I've had an abortion, I've gone down that path. You know, I might as well do the drugs. I might as well, you know, sleep with. Is that normal? Is that? It is. It's very common. It's a a self-punishment that, and again, we don't connect it. Like, I didn't connect the vacuum cleaner or the dentist with my abortion. We don't connect that feeling of self-loathing or the, the feeling that we don't deserve anything better. For a while, I didn't think I deserved anything better than my abusive husband because, you know, look what I did. So who am I to say that I deserve anything better than that? And so that kind of self-punishment and, and self-harming, So maybe what's important for people to understand right now is that as sinners, we're all damaged goods and we all 
have a beautiful identity in Christ because he loves each of us regardless of the decisions that we've made. He paid for them on the cross. It is finished. And so if you're listening right now and anything Laura said just hit home and you're thinking damaged goods and yeah, you're right, I don't, I don't deserve anything better, um, understand that Christ paid for every sin and that you are loved and cherished and that um, there's, um, there's new life. In, in Jesus, and you found that, Laura. What was the path that started taking you to healing? How did that come about? Come back next week for the second part of Laura's story. If you or someone you know is struggling to better understand the topic of abortion through God's Word, we're here to help. Visit timeofgrace.org abortion for more resources on this important topic.